Hey, pull up a chair. It's Hacks on Tap with David Axelrod, Robert Gibbs, and Mike Murphy. That's a great asset. More inflation. What a stupid son of a bitch. (laughs) So... What a stupid son of a bitch. Gibbs, I'm not talking about you. Okay. I was going to say, what, why that do you want to come it. at me so hard so early? I mean, we're like in minute one and you're uh, attacking me. <laughs> that was the president of the United States. Now, we have Jen Palmieri with us today, the former White House communications director. Uh, so what are you thinking there if you are the White House press secretary or the communications director when this whole thing transpires because that that shit is supposed to be in the bubble box you know what i mean that that's not supposed to come out on a live mic yeah hi friends great to be with you yes you're thinking oh you're thinking well there is our news of the day i don't even remember what that event was supposed to (laughs) yeah that's the point i want to make you go ahead i've got uh, yeah it's a good it's actually a great question yeah, so I don't even remember what the event was about, but that is that is going to be the news of the day. But then also, I would think, uh, he is kind of a stupid, you know, kind yes. of a stupid sob. And for America to see that, to, to see some semblance of that, it's you know that may just be okay. Yeah, man. No. <laughs> no. Because, well, I mean, because you're giving oxygen to somebody who's annoying. Yeah, right. I mean, in yes. some ways, you just sort of ignore the gnat, right? But let me. But Jen, you had a great point, which is you don't remember what that event was. And let me. It, it, I noticed this on the schedule yesterday when I was reading through sort of the tip sheets. It, it was an, an event that started at. This is 5 what Gibbs does for fun, by the way. He yeah, this is right. Sheet. Exactly. <laughs> Get a life, will you? Yeah. So at 5 p.m., I don't know the timing we can discuss there, was an, a, a meeting with administration officials on, quote, efforts to lower pl- prices for working families. So to your point, Jen, not only is the news of the day not, well, first of all, moving a meeting until, say, 2 o'clock and having a discussion about inflation, which we know is on the minds of everybody, they had a meeting at 5 o'clock. And as you said, the news is the the president called out a reporter for being a stupid son of a bitch, not anything that was discussed in lowering prices for working families. So um, an interesting turn of events. When we get into talking about the reset, I mean, this to me is the perfect type of meeting they should be doing in Atlanta or Phoenix or suburban Detroit or suburban Milwaukee or some other place. Because that's the kind of question you're going to get if you do this at five o'clock in Washington. Well, it, the, the the problem is <laughs> yeah. we're on the verge of uh, some sort of conflict with Russia, and he could, and you know, so he wasn't going to be in Milwaukee. He wasn't going to be somewhere else. He, he had just gotten out of an eighty minute meeting with the uh, European leaders, and and most of the questions he was getting was were uh, were about Ukraine. I don't know. I mean, more than anything else, I think it reflects his frustration. And these are frustrating times uh, for him. The, and let's talk about the Ukraine thing for a second. Jen, you were there in 2014 when uh, Putin snatched uh, uh, the Crimea. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, what 
they're they're flexing muscle they're threatening sanctions there's they're getting ready to send more troops to buttress nato can what are the polit i mean what from a communication standpoint what are the politics of this because it seems to me one of biden's uh vulnerabilities right now is the perception of of uh, of weakness of you know that is the that is what people are working against him how do you come out from a situation like this looking strong yeah i mean that is i think we're, we're probably gonna be in radical agreement a lot uh in this conversation but i would be i'm not sure can we discuss no go ahead <laughs> um I would be most concerned that he look decisive and that he look strong and that and this is you know I think in it's so it, the Ukraine problem is interesting in that it's it's almost like a 20th century problem. Yeah. Right? And and the tools they're using are very 20th century, you know, secretary, you know, our friend Tony Blinken Secretary of State going uh doing his uh doing his shuttle diplomacy back and forth to allies. Um I think in 14 we didn't necessarily under, you know, we didn't, we weren't certain, was Putin trying to recapture former Soviet Union type glory? Uh, I think now we understand, yes, that is the motivation. Um, and so he is going to mess with the West, um, you know, and, you know, whether it appears to be a smart thing to do or not, that he's willing to you know he's the aggressor he's willing to take risks that makes it hard for biden to be clear and strong but i would be looking to put him in settings with allies where they're aligned um people could see the united states leading people actually standing behind him if that's even possible these days but to show you know particularly after afghanistan uh, the United States at least leading the effort to push back on this and have that be visual too. Um, even if, because I think that the outcome, it's going to be hard for that to be definitive, um, just given how complicated this is. And of course, Putin's willing to take more risks than anybody else. Yeah. I mean, you know, he's probably in the back of his mind. We all know this, that that the Republicans that are seeking to uh, to most poke Joe Biden already have two press releases written, right? One says, I can't believe Joe Biden let Putin invade Ukraine. The other says, Joe Biden appeased Vladimir Putin, right? And they're just waiting to hit send on one of those two press releases, right? If you're Tom Cotton, you're like, I'm, I'm book me anyway. I'm, I've got my, uh, my theory of the case. I think we'll be interesting in the next two weeks. Cause I think you're right. X, um, he needs to project strength, um, and it's not easy because the the of, as Jen said, the irrationality of the actor that he's dealing with doesn't necessarily necessarily lend itself to the types of threats and actions that Biden would make to push him in either direction. So I think the politics is of this is a is a bit up in the air, right? We'll have to see sort of if Putin goes. What does he? What does he do? How does it look? How long does it last? How bloody does it get? There's no doubt in the last 48 hours the 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 reporting of which I'm sure wasn't an accident, uh, and then the activation of those troops to go into uh, other NATO countries around Ukraine um, was a step change in the way they've been dealing with this. The Ukrainians are pissed. 
And they're not helping Biden because their intimation is that America's already conceded Ukraine. Uh, so it is really, you know, I mean, I, I think that they are doing what they can do, but it's going to be a bumpy, uh, it's going to be a bumpy ride here. And it adds to what I think is the fundamental problem, which is there is a sense that everything's sort of out of control. There are too many things that feel loose right now. You know, the virus, uh, inflation, uh, this, uh, you know, a whole, a whole range of things, crime, you know, violence. And, the, it, and, and it, it, it is creating an environment that's conspiring against, uh, uh, conspiring against uh, Biden. When his adversaries are asymmetric, too. Right. Like there's not. All right. Dumb that down for those of us who didn't go to North Carolina. You State. stupid son of a. I mean, um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I just waited. For the, just kidding. No, no. I mean, meaning that, you know, that, look, you'd love to sort of say like, oh, here's a menu of A, B or C to get rid of the virus. Oh, here's a menu oh, of yeah. A, B and C to push back on Putin. I think I think that's that's and look, I mean, all three of us worked in the White House. We understand that as certainly as President Obama used to say, if it was easy, it never got into the room that he's sitting in. Right. Right. And that's why, as you said, actually spent 80 minutes with the commanders and spent 80 minutes with European allies, because there's a lot to orchestrate here. And it's not easy. Again, Putin is trying to, as Jen said, recreate this Soviet sphere of influence for a country that no longer exists. And so, again, he may be making decisions and likely is making decisions without a lot of rationale in thinking of the long-term world. Yes. Well, that may be the long-term world may be true. I don't think you're giving Putin enough credit. Putin has his own rationale. He has his own logic. It, within Russia, you know, nationalism is a hugely uh, a valuable Absolutely. organizing tool. And, and America is a hugely convenient uh, target. So no, I don't. I don't mean inside. Of, uh, yes, I think, and I think he's got a series of political problems that are better spent trying to to uh, reunite Ukraine with with Russia than it is to deal with, say, yeah. the challenges of democracy and political prisoners and whatnot in Moscow. N no doubt. One thing that has struck me about uh, Ukraine is that other times when I worked in the White House and the president was uh, presented with a national security problem. Okay, this is not great, but maybe at least we'll get America's going to rally to his side as they do in the matter in a moment of national security. I don't see any possibility of that outcome here where yeah. right where Republicans rally to his side because, oh, America is undergoing some kind of, you know, if it results in military action or that we have to be united as a country because we are united with our allies and trying to uh, keep this guy um, at bay. I mean, you know, there's even a portion of America for who Putin is a pretty popular figure. So that in terms of your like things that are out of control, and it's not just out of control acts, it feels like things that are out of control and unprecedented that we just can't. So we don't have any, any grounding to know where it's going. And like, you can't even hope to you can hope to like manage that national security crisis in a way that puts you in the best position, but you don't have the chance of thinking this is going to rally the country to my side anymore. Not now. We live in times in which everything gets weaponized in our politics, every single thing. So people are sort of rather than uh, rooting for success, they're sort of waiting for the next for failure so that or, or per the perception of failure so they can weaponize it relative to the next election. In thinking about this over the course of the past couple of days, 
And to your point, Axe, on, on the weaponization, I mean, part of you, particularly as a communications professional, would say, okay, make sure that, that Biden's out there semi-frequently in the next few days into the next week, reiterating um, his lines to Putin, um, you know, being seen with and talking to our allies and whatnot. Is, would that be your posture or is the downside – when we think through the politics of this, if he's present too much um, and Putin invades, then does it look like a loss on his part? Yeah, I'd be worried about that. Right. I would not want I would like when the if there is a moment that, you know, if there is a if there is a big moment, whether it's announcing military action or some, or or some kind of agreement or at least. I would have him used sparingly and in moments that are going to matter and make sure it looks good. It's like, right. you know, the crosswalk in the East Room with the red carpet yeah. that we all recognize. It's something that looks presidential. Presidential yeah. and like I'm I'm on it. But I would want you don't, you know, you would want to do it very sparingly. And I just I feel like, particularly since I feel like their biggest problem is it looks like they are not focused on their right not right, right. they are focused on the wrong thing yeah. just like across the board just yes. well that was my point about getting that meeting out of town yeah yes. yeah no no i understand no i totally get it um you know this is the cross pressure here because you want to be in command of the emergent situation but honestly uh most Americans are not sitting around their kitchen table saying, geez, I, I, I wonder what Putin's going to do next. Yeah. You know, they're sitting around saying, damn, that was expensive. Or damn, I'm sick of wearing this stupid mask. Or I'm sick of not knowing whether my kid's going to be able to go to school or not go to school. Or, I mean, that's the stuff that people. Or damn, this uh, stupid mask is expensive. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, yeah. Or I can't get a test. Yeah. There's very few people, um, yeah, with, with their. Eastern European uh, maps uh, on the table, looking at 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 all this. No, no doubt. I mean, this is and this I think is the the tough. I mean, one of the many tough parts of doing this is doing hacks on tap or doing or or being uh, b- being the leader of the trying. free world. Oh yeah, very trying doing hacks on tap. This is what this is why we chose to be on hacks on tap instead of being the leaders of the free world. It's a pretty close second, I gather, but yeah. it, it's um, no. But I think there's you know you've got to juggle this kind of in the background keeping the attention on the things that we know matter most right now to people. And yet at the same time, what's in the background could become the number one issue very quickly, uh, or at least the number one fascination very quickly. Okay, then let's take a break right here and we'll be right back. So Gibbs, like you, I'm focused on health a lot these days. I think this virus has done uh, that for us. And I'm all about being healthy. But I honestly, until now, I've not been thinking about the quality of the air I breathe. And then I got a Homedics. Have you gotten one of these? This is an amazing product. Uh, they sent me this total clean air purifier, and it is amazing. It's got this air filtration system and this fancy UVC light thing that removes up to 99% of airborne allergens, including pollen. I got allergies, so pet dander. I got a dog. Smoke, I don't smoke, and mold. 
It purifies the air in large rooms up to 343 square feet. And I took my tape measure out. That is true. And it's much cheaper than those crazy expensive air purifiers. Plus, it's more compact than the typical bulky air purifiers that you see in the corner of the room. So it doesn't take up a lot of space in your home. The air inside your home can be up to five times dirtier than the air outside. Yikes. That's why Homedics designed their Total Clean Air Purifier Collection with a variety of needs and room sizes in mind. Total Clean's Whisper Quiet technology combined with the option to use the integrated (laughs) aromatherapy makes for a more restful sleep. It even includes a night light feature for people that like a little light before bed. There you go, Axe. In 1987, a Detroit family founded Homedics to help make people's lives better. Today, they're the established leader in wellness and home health innovations backed by traditional wisdom and modern technology. And you know what? It's not just us saying this. Homedics has an A-plus Better Business Bureau rating, so they're a brand you can rely on. Join the millions. I'm talking about millions of customers who trust the Homedics family to take care of theirs. You know, Axe, I'm super excited to try out uh, the air purifier you're talking about. I- I'm going to put it here right in front of us as we podcast. And uh, Yeah, we need some fresh air when we're talking. I mean, that clean air is going to give me peace of mind when uh, when we're recording. You know, redoing your home and this total clean air purifier can be a lifesaver for home air quality. It's small. It's great. You'll barely notice it. I'm looking forward to trying it in uh, in my house and in other Uh, rooms throughout my house. Well, here's what I can tell you, whether you're dealing with allergies or just looking to keep your family safe. We've got good news right now. If you go to homedics.com slash hacks and use promo code hacks, you'll receive a free replacement filter with the purchase of your air purifier up to a $99 value. Make sure you add the replacement air filter to your cart or else the promo code won't work. Again, that's a free replacement filter. When you go to H-O-M-E-D-I-C-S dot com slash hacks and use the promo code hacks. This leads into Reset Week last week. And how we think it went. Did you get your (laughs) t-shirt? No. No, I did not. You know why? Because everything slowed down. I'm pissed about that. No, I don't know. (laughs) The supply chain is stuck. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But, but, you know, here's what, here was my impression. And I, I told you, Robert, and you told me, don't be too, uh, don't flay myself too much or flay pundits too much. Uh, You know, the thing I hated the most when I was in the White House, and Jen, you must, feel this sometimes or, you know, the fat ass old veteran White House people saying, oh boy, this is how they should be doing it. And it's like, yeah, you know what, why don't you come and spend a day here and see what we're looking at right now? I mean, because it's always easier from the sidelines to say, this is what they should be doing. That's a preface for me me to say, be the fat ass outside veteran saying. I was going to say, if there's not a butt coming, this is going to be the shortest episode in Hacks history. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Um, yes. yes. Talk to you next week. There, there, there is a butt. Okay, There good. is a butt. Speaking of big ass. I was going to say, uh, no pun intended. There is a butt, yes. Uh, but what disturbed me a little about his press conference last week was 
he was talking so much about himself and and sort of what he accomplished and we did this and we did that and you know his his superpower is empathy and it seems to me he should have, the whole thing should have been from the perspective of what we as a country have gone through in yeah. the last year instead there was like a two-minute insert about oh i know it's been tough and people have been suffering this and that but uh but the rest of it was but let me tell you what i've been doing for you and when they asked him what he was going to do next that he learned from this he said i'm gonna get out in the country more to tell them what we're doing for them not to hear what's going on in their lives but to tell them what we're doing for them the other thing he said he was going to do was spend more time with experts and editorial writers which i'm sure the country is clamoring for uh you know so but i wanted to play you guys this uh uh this bit because i thought who got it right was the inaugural committee. The Biden inaugural committee ran an ad last week. They had a two-minute ad, and then they ran some 60s. But here's a bit of that uh, two-minute ad narrated by Tom Hanks. For there is always light, if only we're brave enough to see it, if only we're brave enough to be it. If only we're brave enough. Brave enough to live through two of the most difficult years many of us can remember. Brave enough to pull ourselves up again and again. America is the home of the brave. It's why we keep getting up, no matter how many times we get knocked down. Like with our economy. It isn't all the way back, but it's getting stronger. We may be entering year three of a pandemic none of us wanted or expected, but we're moving. I was the first person to get the vaccine in the whole country. And now, how many people are vaccinated? Over 200 million, right? That's what keeps me going, that I can feel the change. Restaurants have opened their doors. Shops and businesses are buzzing again all over the country. More jobs were created in 2021 than in any year in the last 80 years. We are stronger than we were a year ago today. There was the same elements of what Biden was sharing, but it was in the context of what we, we, we have been going through, not what, let me tell you what I've been doing for you. And I think that's a subtle but important distinction, you know, and uh, I, I think the country's gone through hell. I don't think we've gotten our arms around how much this has impacted all of us and how, you know, out of sync and sorts we are uh, because cause of it. And this is a, a profound experience. And um, I think he spent too little time talking about that and, and, and too much time sort of saying, I've done so much. Uh, you know, there was, an, uh, there was a, <laughs> this is a digression, but there was a book that Jimmy Breslin wrote about the New York Mets who were awful in the early 1960s. And it was from the perspective of Casey Stengel, the manager, uh, and I think the title was called I Manage So Good, How Come They Play So Bad. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, he should have just made it about the country and yes. what we're sharing together. I think the challenge in the event was inherently doing it as a press conference rather than as a, a, a speech. Uh, and what I mean by that is, and, and look, we all remember this. Jenny was... Um, <laughs> The President Obama is probably still doing this even in 2014 and 2015 and 2016. Anytime he talked about the economy, this was in, even in 2009 and 2010, he'd always start with, 
let's let, let's take a step back and see how we got into this. Yeah, problem. Sure, right, right. And it was always like, yeah, I always just say it was biblical, you know. You and I would sit over there, ask and go, oh Jesus, just tell them what we're doing now, you know. Like, it was, so this it was always this kind of long wind up, right? Because if you're if you're if you're getting a grade, you want to give you you want to influence the judges, and I think in some ways the press conference exactly was that he wanted to sort of hey I want to give you let me before you tell me I didn't do well I want to enter in all this information I'm also struck too by the the reason that, I mean one he's Tom Hanks but the reason that you can do it so well through the, a narrator is somebody can say. More jobs were created in 2021 than in any other year in the last 80, and it sound more empathetic. Is it's not coming from that? It's not coming from the president, right? And so there's the there's a little bit of that kind of Bill Clinton in 2012 at the convention, sort of like, hey, I can say what Barack Obama did without Barack Obama saying it, and it kind of sounds different. Mm-hmm. So I think that the stretch, but I I agree with you, X, that I think. His use of empathy also lets him channel anxiety um, in an important way and give lift to those voices that are still feeling, as you said, the hell that we're going through. And I think that was a little bit missed it, 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 as well. And I, and look, it's it, it was it was always going to be hard to get all of that done, whether it was a forty five minute event or in this case an almost two hour event. Um, I feel like. You know, people are worried. They think it's going in the wrong direction. And it's so in Biden's control. That is one thing that Biden, it, it is in Biden's control to do something about, right? And acts, I really, I think it's so important that he makes that. I mean, this is what the president of the United States can do. He can do it without Congress. He can do it without anyone giving him permission. He can tell us a story about mm-hmm. what we have gone through. I think people need to hear you have made it through this. It was incredibly hard. You have gone, you have done, you know, superhuman things, and that could only happen in America. Yeah. Right. And there was a part last spring where he was doing that more. He was bringing the country into this. Like when he, he gave his uh, speech before Congress in April, it was like, this could only have happened in America that we found this vaccine, that we did this and make people feel proud of their struggle the way Americans were made in World War II. And then I think the other thing is you have to communicate, you know, there's, it's hard for Democrats to communicate right now because there's so much disinformation, right, that we're combating. We're on the side of truth, if I may say so. And I think you have to, there's been some of the research about how you actually break through is own the good news with the bad news. So don't just, Mm -hmm. you can't just say everything's going great. I think you should treat inflation in the economy. The White House should treat it the way governors treated COVID early on. There is someone who briefs every single day about it. Here's what's working. Here's what's not working. Here's the things that we know. Here's the things that we don't know. Um, Some people did communication studies around vaccines and found if you admit along the way what you're uncertain about, the disinformation doesn't take hold. And I think for communicators, not just what you say, but how you actually make that breakthrough is really, really hard. I completely agree, agree with this. You can't jawbone people into feeling better. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, you really can't. And, um, you know, part of the story is we thought we were through this a couple of times. 
in the last year, and then we got set back. That's part of the story of resilience. That ad tells the story of resilience of the American people. The other thing is there are all these heroes who have worked their asses off to get us through this, unsung heroes all across the country. I mean, there was poetry available to him, uh, and he 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 chose to treat it as report card day and speak in prose and try and persuade people of what they what they don't believe. So, Jen, I, I completely uh, agree with uh, I agree with you, Gibbs. You were you were pissed that uh, or not pissed? Pissed is the wrong word. But as a as an observer, you were befuddled, bewildered uh, about the strategy around voting rights last week. Yeah, I still am. Um, look, I, I want to preface this much like you did, X, um, that it's an enormously important issue, and I'd love to see something done about it. My genuine concern, though, is in elevating it to an issue where we put everybody on the record. One, Democrats lost again. I'm not entirely sure how a string of losses is supposed to project <clears throat> confidence and strength. Two, We've largely taken two people in mansion and cinema and highlighted them over in a corner. And I think in many ways, essentially cut the bridge off from bringing them back. Right. And, you know, if you're trying to get build back better done, you can't put two Democrats in a corner with 50 senators and say, we're going to push you off to the side. You can't do that on voting rights. Again, I, I think this is a vexing issue for Democrats. My, my, my remedy, unfortunately, is something that Democrats don't like to hear, which is we got to win more races. We have to win more seats. There have to be more Democratic senators. Um, usually people say, well, we have 50. I don't understand. How come we can't get anything done? That's not, you know. I, it's a good I, time to remind people how many senators uh, President Obama had in our yeah picture. exactly right. and we had problems yeah <laughs> right yes and you no. know like you know and and if you look back in history you know when the Great Society got done there were like seventy Democratic senators so the idea that you're going to get the Great Society done with fifty is it's hard historically but again my, my big worry is again I don't know how we I don't. I feel like we sort of tried to untangle the knot by pulling each end of the rope really hard. Um, and I don't know that that we I don't know how much we accomplished. And again, I feel like maybe more than anything, we, we've taken those two senators and basically said, yeah, you, you're not you know, you raise your hand. You're not with us. OK, you're over there. I don't I, I think in a world in which you can't lose any of them, that's really hard. Well, yeah, I mean, it's a good point about what was sure talk. Sure, it's a huge issue. It's you know, you can argue it's the most important issue for the long term health. But what you accomplished again, people on the record, other than the cynical view, is Schumer wanted to tell donors, "Don't look tall, Democrat donors." I tried. And right. Then, I don't think that's cynical. I think that's what happened. I yeah. do too. And that's like, it's pretty corrosive. Again, also, you know, since August, I mean, I do feel bad, you know, because when, when we won those Georgia Senate seats, we, like I had a hand in it. Um, we got the car. <laughs> when the Democrats yeah. got, you know, I was like, oh, great. Biden will be able to get his cabinet confirmed. I did not expect, nor should we have expected that there would be, you know, a big, uh, uh, the ability to get a very big progressive legislative agenda passed when the 2020 elect when the when the people who won the 2020 races did not reflect that kind of 
um, that kind of mandate. And I have been surprised the degree to which they have been successful, like in getting. Yeah, it. man. The, yeah. I mean, it's the rescue plan and bipartisan infrastructure bill far and away the most significant pieces of legislation since 2010, right? And, yes. But the yeah, I mean, hugely, right. hugely significant. I can't believe they got 50 cent that that with 50 senators they were able to do that right and i give them a ton of credit the problem is since august all we have seen is democrats fighting with each other about something that people think doesn't matter to them right now part of it is expectation setting i mean when you set the expectation that you can having achieved these two things you can achieve something even larger that was essentially a big dirigible with every democratic priority in it um was you know uh you you kind of set yourself up and uh I, I think that uh i think that is sort of just on the voting rights thing first of all um it is a it isn't just an issue it is a it is a really existential question for this country particularly the voting null, voter nullification aspects of what is going around around the country where legislatures can just willy-nilly or their their appointees uh, replace uh, election officials who are not cooperative. I mean that's that is a. Uh, I mean I don't in any way uh, uh, belittle the importance of uh, either voter suppression or voter nullification. It's important, um, but I do think this there was a performative element to what happened in washington last week because they knew they didn't have the votes right. and they weren't going to get the votes so it was sort of a box checking exercise uh and i think schumer's concerned about challenges from the left even though i think he's secure in new york and he was responding to some of those and i think the president himself doesn't feel secure uh, with the base of his own party and so he wanted to go through with it but it was doomed to fail i do you know my, my guess is that they may have gotten more crap if they hadn't uh, yeah. tried. So uh, now what do you guys think about the Arizona uh, Democratic Party censuring cinema? Uh, uh, does it mean anything? I mean, it, to people who aren't Democrats, it's sort of, well, they're just like Republicans. They're, when, they, when people disagree, they're going to run them out of the party. But... Um, what impact does that have? Well, again, I, I go back to my sort of isolation thing, and I think in many ways the censure was per, was also performative, right? Mm -hmm. To 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 sort of yeah, let the no base impact, know, yeah, yeah. right? That that it is that that there's the that what comes with it is the admonition of not doing this. Well, I think it almost assuredly foreshadows, and I think her actions were foreshadowing this anyway. A, a robust Democratic primary for. Senator Cinema, should she decide to run for reelection? I don't know. You acts don't think she's going to. I don't gonna think she's going to. No. Yeah. So, I, but again, I think the challenge you have is, um, you know, it, politics is about a, a di you know, it is about addition, not subtraction. And again, I, I, I don't. I, I get the I get the angst and the desire to do it. It's not unlike the, we. It's not unlike the clip we started with at the beginning of the show, right? There's right. a frustration that makes you want to yell out and do something. The challenge is if you're if you're if if you're trying to get Senator Cinema back on the team, and the team keeps pushing away, 
What's the incentive for her to get on the team? And just to be clear, she's this isn't a, a senator that rolls off into the 2022 cycle. This is 2024, right? So I, I, I don't know. I mean, look, I'm not suggesting appeasement. I just think they've got to build a bridge back. I, I have mixed feelings about the whole thing. I think the philosophy behind the censure is that uh, to let her know that Democrats are unhappy and if she's planning right. to run for re-election, then uh, she should be aware of that. And she, you know, she did vote for the Rescue Act. She did vote. For, she was part of that infrastructure bill. You do have 50 and you do need her, to your point. So, uh, you know, to run her and Manchin out on a rail. I love these people who say they shouldn't even be in the party. Okay, send them over to the Republican side and see how you like that. I mean, that, 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 that does make sense. I say this probably every other episode, but it bears repeating just in case anybody hasn't heard me. Joe Manchin represents a state Joe Biden got 29% of the vote in, okay? If Joe Manchin isn't a U.S. senator, I can I would bet my entire life savings Which are that, that, person, right, that that person is going to be a Republican. So if you run some of these people out, you know, and, and Jen, you started with this point, like, were it not for winning all of these races, we'd be at 49. And let me tell you, the view from the U.S. Senate at 49, way, way, way different. Judges don't get passed, right? A cabinet doesn't get seated. Ambassadors don't get approved. Very normal, nominal stuff just doesn't happen. The rescue plan doesn't happen. The rescue you know? plan, exactly. The rescue plan doesn't happen. Okay, let's take a break right here for a word from our sponsor, and we'll be right back. So, Gibbs, every day, tens of thousands of trees are cut down to make single-use paper products that are flushed or thrown away into our overflowing landfills. Our, That's a lot of trees. It is. Our forests currently remove around one-quarter of the carbon humans put into the atmosphere, making them a crucial part of the fight against climate change. Real paper is here to help that fight. Real paper is a sustainably made product that helps reduce deforestation and single-use plastic waste. So it's really a cudgel against climate change. At Real Paper, all of their products are 100% plastic-free and made without virgin tree fibers, meaning no new trees are cut down to make their toilet paper or paper towels. Real developed a premium sustainable alternative so that you don't have to sacrifice quality in order to help the planet acts. Plus, Making this small change can have a big impact. So far, Real Paper has eliminated over 250,000 pieces of single-use plastics. Plus, each purchase of Real helps fund access to clean sanitation around the world. Real Paper is available in easy, hassle-free subscriptions or for one-time purchases on their website. All orders are conveniently delivered to your door in 100% recyclable, plastic-free packaging. If you head to realpaper.com slash hacks and sign up for a subscription using our code hacks at checkout, you'll automatically get 30% off your first order. That's R-E-E-L-P-A-P-E-R.com slash hacks or enter promo code hacks to get 30% off your first order. Real paper is toilet paper and paper towels that change lives. So Democrats are in this in this hole right now. 
Every poll seems to show Republicans favored in these congressional elections in the fall. That seems to be the course and direction of things. You're sitting here. You guys are master strategists. You're sitting here, uh, and you're trying to devise a strategy for fighting back. The president tried. The president took a turn, and rather than the amiable uh, bipartisan guy, he took a shot at the Republicans for for uh, wanting Biden to fail. That was his criticism. But I, I have a different question. I want you to listen to this clip from Newt Gingrich, who's advising the House Republicans right now uh, from the weekend. And I think when you have a Republican Congress, this is all going to come crashing down and the wolves are going to find out that they're now sheep. And they're the ones who are, in fact, going to, I think, face a real risk of jail uh, for the kind of laws they're breaking. This is him talking about the Republic, the, about the Congress, about the Congress and the, and the January 6th commission uh he also threw the attorney general into the mix in in the in the longer answer and so here's my question i mean this is what i would test if i were still uh, doing this work um this is what the republicans are promising basically vengeance chaos and is that what you want in a country that's craving stability is uh is that what you want to introduce into this uh you know a reign of terror led by Jim Jordan and uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene I mean isn't that sort of something worth exploring Yeah I think so I mean I think that that is like a huge gift from Gingrich it's also probably true right I mean because oh, yeah. we've seen uh you know we have seen republican leaders of the house they are not able to rally the their own very fractious caucus to do anything except beat up on democrats right i mean that is i mean think about it like who was the last republican leader in the house that was able to actually rally uh the the republicans to to pass something other than a tax cut they was what they do they go after they go after democrats and for and for for Gingers to say that is a truthful but be also a gift and i know that i mean in terms of like what i would do now if you're the white house you have to you know the communication space is what's in your control you got to do what gibbs said you got to get out of the country you got to talk to people one-on-one -on -one about um about inflation show them all the things that you're doing to trying uh same thing with uh, same thing with schools. And then the third thing, and I know the president plans to do this in the State of the Union, you know, he, he made the comparison, right? Don't compare me to the almighty, right. compare me to the alternative, the all time right. Joe Biden right. political rule. Yeah. And that will help, you know, and that will help some. They still really, you know, it's really difficult midterms, but that argument is really important to hear. Well, and I think this was this was one of the good things that came out of the press conference. It didn't get fully formed. But I thought the preview of it was good because it, it it essentially happened in his first answer, which was there was a punch back, right? There was Joe Biden trying to say, hey, guys, you know, you you you've got challenges with me. I get it. Let me just let me walk you through the other side. And so and I know, Ax, you and I've talked about this. I mean, th this has to be a political narrative that threads the entire year for them. Right. The State of the Union every time he goes out to speak. And it doesn't mean he has to be hostile and challenge somebody by name, but he does have to set up this idea of, and, and, and what you talk about, Jen, is setting up this idea of a choice in a world in which this is ending up as a referendum on him. And I think this is going to be Herculean to make it something other than a referendum, 
But this is a long-term thing. This is not a one-year project. This is now a three-year project, which is here's what you get with that group. You get, to your point, David, chaos, vengeance, uh, vitriol. Basically Trump-style politics. Yeah, a grievance, uh, all this sort of stuff. So I think think that is an imperative mission. I do hope that they do not wait. I I hope they repeat it in the State of the Union. I I hope it starts – this week or next week. I think this, because I think this is going to be an argument that takes a while. And look, Joe Biden isn't going to be, it's not going to be easy to make this argument for somebody who said, look, I know I can bring Washington together. He's going to have to admit, you know, and this is one of the things in the press conference. Well, I had no idea these Republicans would be like this. Yeah. Yeah, you did. Yeah. Yeah, you did. That was, uh, that was, by the way, I thought sort of Odd, you know, it was like <laughs> it's what, geez, that was I one mean, word. I would he was pick, with yeah. he was with us for eight years. Yeah, I mean, it's not so. I mean, in the Obama years, he he, you know, and maybe he really had this. You know, he did when when he was in the White House. There was always this sense that uh, you know, you guys aren't. I've spent thirty six years there. You guys don't know how to do it, right? Um, so there may have been some sense of. You know, I know old Mitch. I know these guys. I know how to talk to them. Yeah. I know, and in fact, he did get something done on the infrastructure bill. Yep. But, uh, but, you know, I think there were a lot of people saying, you know, um, this is kind of a reprise of an old movie here, and you were sitting in the front row for eight years of it. There was so a co-star. Why is it so surprising <laughs> now? He was in the movie. He was yeah. he was yeah. in the prequel. Yeah. yeah. No, just two other quick points on Gingrich. Um, I'd point out uh, Jonathan Chait in New York Magazine um, has a quick thing this morning on, which I thought was good, which is G- Gingrich is the thread really between Reaganism and Trumpism. And this idea that like, you know, we, we talk about Trump just kind of ran onto the scene and started right. talking about this. Newt Gingrich was Donald Trump in the late 70s and the early 80s with this sort of pugilistic politics on the Republican side. Well, and he brought it to the House in the late 80s and early 90s. Absolutely. Burn the village down. Burn the village down to save it. It's like when the incentive structure changed in yes. Republican yeah. politics. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I commend people to read that. Um, but also... <laughs> And, and, you know, I, I, I vacillate here between being humorous and being like, just like, Jesus, what is we'll, going we'll on? We'll decide like, whether you're being humorous. Okay. But, like, <laughs> I do wonder, like, is there, like, a text chain with the craziest Republicans going on saying, hey, I just went on Fox and get this. I said they ought to put the January 6th commission in jail. You guys top that. And then there's, like, a text chain where somebody, okay, I'm going to go on Tucker tonight and say something even crazier. But, I mean, and I don't want to just give it that sort of. I mean, it, it deeply disturbing that a former speaker of the House suggesting that bipartisan oversight ought to be met by putting people they don't disagree, they don't agree with in jail is the definition of authoritarianism. Yeah, but you know what? Uh, there, I'm sure on the in the in the precincts they work and on social media, their attitude is, and I'm not defending it. I mean, I'm completely with you, but their attitude is, oh, we're just doing to them what they're doing to us. Uh, you know, that that is the, the that that is that is what they are saying, and that's how they fire yeah. fire themselves up. So we gotta go to questions at some point here. I got two other quick things. There was a there was an NBC uh poll over the weekend, uh, and they asked this question all the time, and I don't know 
which probably Brother Murphy probably has some thoughts on this because he he is a big proponent of this theory. But uh, they asked, do you consider yourself to be more of a supporter of Donald Trump or more of a supporter of the Republican Party? This is asked of Republicans and Republican leaning voters. Uh, before the last election, it was 54 Trump, 38 Republican Party. Right. Uh, that has been slowly declining. Uh, it was 43.50 in October. In this poll, January 22nd, it was 36 Trump, 56 Republican Party. Uh, you know, Murphy's been predicting that Trump will fade. Uh, he's still a 78% approval. He still obviously leverages huge uh, influence within the Republican Party because people are worried about primaries. The question is, is this an indication of of the beginning of fading and is um desantis onto something here by challenging uh trump be uh, you know is there is there gold in those hills uh, is, mm-hmm. is you know and uh, um i don't know the answer to that so i'm asking you big geniuses i think that he could be fading but he can come back um, but he could certainly come back and reclaim leadership of the party as the nominee because the party's so fractured and you will have more people with him than with any other person. And I think, you know, and DeSantis winning, I consider, to, you know, to be when if, you know, if he runs for president, wins the primary. I, I think that's that's base. That's Trumpism winning still. Right. That is the that is that that manner is still is still winning. I think what's interesting is. I suspect it probably won't succeed, but there are overall in terms of Republicans sort of taking back the party, you know, Liz Cheney, um, Fred Upton, Peter Meyer, you know, members of Congress and Republicans in Michigan that voted to impeach Trump um, that thought that they could bring the sort of old Republican Party back. That seemed, you know, it's like that that stopped that you lost that fight in 2015. Um, but I don't know, you know, Glenn Youngkin, I imagine, you know, a lot of Republicans were really excited to turn out and vote for somebody in Virginia that wasn't Donald Trump, right? Jack Chitterelli almost beat Phil Murphy in New Jersey. A lot of Republicans, and it's not that Democrats didn't turn out, a lot of Republicans were excited to turn out and vote for someone who wasn't Trump. Um, so I look at those, I just look at that with interest i don't know what the ultimate answer is gibbs let's just give her credit because she said jack's chitterelli yeah that's pretty good yeah i mean just for that that warrants hacks on taps sort of permanent hall of fame status right what we learned on this is not only did she pronounce it right but but that's a mississippi girl pronouncing it right so that's like she gets like double points for that I am also Italian, so... There you go. That's true. Yes, <laughs> yeah, that's true. I forgot about that part. The one thing I would say, though, uh, and, and I think Jen hit on this, and I had this discussion with Murphy about these numbers as well, because I said the same thing. I said, so walk me through how the rest of the, the... How the Republican Party is different than Trumpism. You're basically saying, do you agree with Trump or do you agree with Trumpism? And I think they kind of toggle back and forth. I don't, you know, I think this all comes down to in some way in 2024, does Trump run or not? Because I have a hard time, at least now, seeing how somebody is a better Trump than Trump, right? If if Trump's on the ballot in 2024, then I think Ron DeSantis is trying to be Trump. 
but he's not quite as good at Trump as Trump is, right? Right. He's certainly better, but we saw this in 2016 when Ted Cruz got behind, when Marco Rubio got behind. They're like, I'm not going to be Marco Rubio. I'm going to be Donald Trump. And Donald Trump's really better at being himself than Marco Rubio is. Yeah. Um, and so I don't know. I mean, I think the, the numbers are interesting. And I, look, I think. I don't know what they mean, honestly. I'm just yeah. throw, throwing it out there. I think how the midterms play out, how Trump's involvement in the midterms play out. And I think and I think I know the answer to this, but does Trump have the ability to, to progress his message and his fight in 2024 beyond what he thinks happened to himself in 2020? I think if he makes the turn, then it's different. They will be talking about this for a long yep. time, but what we should do is hit the music. It's listener mailbag. If you've got a question for us, email us at hacksontap at gmail.com. That's hacksontap at gmail.com. So Palmieri, Brett wants to know, should the Democrats having uh, the voting rights of legislation fail, should the Democrats work with McConnell now to pass a revision to the Electoral Count Act. I think so. I mean, that seems, I, I would love, I know there are a lot of, there are a lot of Democrats that say you should not cooperate with that because it will mean that there is no incentive to act on the broader Voting Rights Act, right? Well, I think we may be in that situation, you know, we sort of last week sort of proved that's a tough situation right now. And I think, you know, um, one thing I learned from Leon Panetta, my first boss in politics, take what you can get and come back for more. And I would certainly, and you can't ever predict if you have a bipartisan win on voting, where else that might go. Um, and I know that that sounds naive, but I say it as some as a, you know somebody who's been around for this for almost thirty years. You just can't predict where wins, what wins may also make possible. But moreover, passing something that puts some guardrails up. Um, to protect uh, votes. I know that the most important guard are also done in the state. Like, do it. Pass it. And by the way, America would love to see a bipartisan vote. Um, more bipartisan votes, you know, being accomplished in the, in the Congress. All right. Well, I know you got to go, but I got to ask you, what's the over under on Hillary Clinton running for president again? Oh in, uh, in <laughs> I mean, Doug Schoen seems to think she should do it as he seemed to thought that she, she should do it. And what, what else did he write? Doug Schoen yeah. hasn't talked for Hillary Clinton in, 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 in years and years and years. It's not something I expect is going to, I expect will happen. I, I will say I saw her uh, with uh, Fareed Zakaria a few weeks yeah. ago, and her analysis was excellent. Her analysis I mean, is excellent. It yeah. always is. Yeah. She yeah. really understands this country. She understands, you know. It's the candidate thing that's challenging at times. I think she's less candid, less forthright, less herself sometimes as a candidate than she is uh, when she's not. But boy, she was, uh, she was right on it. You know, well, that's, that's why I've written two books about what happens to women under the national <laughs> glare. But, you know, when you're when you're not a candidate, people are a lot more comfortable with women than when, when you are a candidate. But like, yeah, yeah. It's a, I mean, it. you know, that's an interesting thing. But uh, yeah, I think that this is a made up thing. This notion that she will run. I think this is a made up. This is a made up speculation thing. So it's not something. Yeah, it's not something that I would expect, but you know, I don't know. Crazy things happen <laughs> in politics. Well, crazy things are going to happen if we don't let you go and catch your train. So thanks for being with us. 
It was a pleasure. All right. Great to talk. Come back often. Okay, thanks. Take care. Bye. Gibbs Marty asks, in the search for votes to modify the filibuster, why is all the attention on cinema and mansion when there are 50 GOP senators who might come on board? After all, a common reservation about changing the filibuster rules is that it will empower future GOP majorities. Wouldn't some plucky GOP senators want to speed that plow, especially when they are likely to resume their majority status in 2022? First of all, I do love the picturesque speed that plow uh, um, phrase. Plucky, Plucky, yes. Um, I I think the the simple answer is one word, and it's McConnell. Um, McConnell is not letting and wouldn't let any Republican entertain becoming part of uh, a Democratic effort to to undo the filibuster. And uh, mostly because in the very short term, meaning this year, it 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 portends a lot of challenge, uh, a lot of challenges for him and a lot of things that Democrats might be able to get done. I don't doubt that there's a significant amount of frustration on both sides about how the Senate runs or doesn't run. And I feel like there's probably a hundred, a hundred senators that agree they didn't come to Washington to not do anything or to just spend their time stopping everybody else from doing something. But in the very short term, Mitch McConnell just isn't letting anybody uh, on that Republican side uh, join Democrats in in changing the filibuster rules writ large or particularly on, on voting. I mean, I, I think Mitch, Mitch McConnell is very comfortable going into the 2022 election with um, it harder to vote for certain groups uh in uh in this election that that could decide control for him you got one for me i do as a matter of fact this one is addressed to you so it was easier to pick it comes from jim and it says axarod says biden's low poll numbers are due due to a perception that he is weak murphy uh that biden has veered too far left if biden had been able to sign into law build back better voting rights and had gotten reform of the filibuster, all favored by progressives, would his poll numbers be higher, lower, or about the same? Yeah, it's a really interesting uh, question. Well, first of all, let me clarify my, my point. My point is that right now, for, for reasons that are be, beyond his control in many ways, things just feel like they're out of control. We talked about this earlier. Things are out of control, and too often he doesn't feel like it doesn't feel like he's in command of those events. And I think that has made him uh, vulnerable uh, to the attacks that we've seen. As A subset of that is uh, Republicans like to say he is being dragged because he's not strong. He's being dragged from his moderate inclinations to the left uh, in order to satisfy his base. And that contributes uh, to that uh, perception. I don't think, honestly, if he had passed these bills, that it would have hurt him at all. I think it would have helped him because it would have been success, and success begets success. And there are things in that Build Back Better bill we know that are tremendously popular. So, uh, no, I don't think, I I disagree with the analysis that uh, his fundamental problem, I think it's a part of it, but that his fundamental problem is that somehow he's become too progressive. I don't think that is what's uh, nagging. Uh, uh, him. I think it has more to do with a perception of, of strength and command. Gibbs, what do you think? 
Yeah, I, I think you you tend to be right on this. I think the you know I I think if you look at some of the numbers within the poll, um, you know the enthusiasm among Democratic voters is quite low. Um, black voters approve of Joe Biden only in the sixty percent range. So I, I think if he'd gotten more done. With Democratic voters, he'd likely be stronger. The, the question, and it's a good one, as to whether that would would independent voters or would Trump Biden voters feel like he still isn't where they need to be? And I, I, that I don't really know the answer to. Um, I, I think if he'd passed Build Back Better, it would have given him a, a, an even better chance to to work through and talk to and get people to understand the impact that the legislation could have on things like their childcare expenses or their tax rates or things like that, I think that would be good. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I, I think he would be probably marginally better off. Uh, and I think marginally better off in his approval ratings, probably a good bit better off just in Democrats feeling like they were driving towards something rather than, uh, lack of lacking momentum yeah no i i i hear you on that one 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 side note and then we got to go filibuster uh, i said this before part of the problem with a filibuster is it forces things like this reconciliation bill where you're not debating about the individual component parts of the filibuster you're debating about the size of the bill and the no process. one quite knows yeah. what's in it and uh, yeah. that's really been a problem for Biden, because I'm sure he'd love to have a debate about, for example, child care. Uh, I think that would be pretty resonant with a lot of voters in this country and not just Democrats. You can't yeah. have it because it's all part of this big dirigible. Anyway, uh, we got to go. And Gibbs, it's uh, it's good to see you, brother. Always and, good to uh, see you. I'm betting, I'm betting there'll be stuff to talk about again next week. I have a hunch of that, too. And I want to say I've, I've never, ever listened to what you've said and thought you were a stupid SOB. No, I appreciate that. Uh, I could say the same to you, unless we're talking about sports. But anyway, that's another story. We'll talk to you later. <laughs> See ya.